You're listening to the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast. Tune in each week to learn how we can all make inclusive marketing the industry standard. Welcome and welcome back to the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast. I have an amazing guest for you this week. I know I I do say that every week, but I generally mean it because we've been exploring (laughs) inclusive design and I just wanted to bring on the person who introduced me to the whole genre topic itself. Um, Errol, Errol Fox, please tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself. Oh, wow. A little bit about myself. Uh, Hi, I'm Errol Fox. My pronouns are they, them, but I use a lot of different pronouns now. uh, So you can't really get it wrong with me, uh, is often I say. Um, uh, But I'm a good person to practice your they, thems with. Um, I've been doing design uh, in big, big design, non-like in the terms of like designers all the things that I've been doing design for like 12 years which basically means that I never like particularly specialized in any one thing I sort of stayed a um a generalist you could say uh on a lot of different ways but in these days I work at an organization called Superbloom um Superbloom um is a design NGO nonprofit uh, that works globally and works predominantly on tools and technologies uh, from the design side of things for human rights, um, human rights activists or for internet shutdowns, basically anything, anything that is a technology that is trying to make the world a better place or as much of a better place as can be possible that is where where, where I earn my money uh, the other place where I earn my money at the moment is uh, doing a PhD at Newcastle University which is um, to do with design and to do with human rights and humanitarian work but also to do with open source software so the other thing that I get real nerdy about as well as inclusivity design human rights is open source software um which is if you're not familiar with it you've probably used some open source software because a lot of the open internet is based and founded on open source software so that's a little bit about me um anything else you want me to cover (laughs) so many things so many things um But as soon as you were going through, I was like, oh, we worked together in this bit and that bit. Mm -hmm. Did we do Mm -hmm. anything for WordPress or am I imagining that one? For the organization WordPress? No, the meetup group Bristol WordPress. Did we ever? Oh, gosh. I feel like maybe at one point I went to a meetup or maybe like there was a panel or something like that. But I, I don't remember specifically what it was, but I feel it sounds like plausible, if you know what I mean. Yeah, our paths have crossed many times in the work. Um, But I'm trying to also remember when I met you, and it's been a while. It would have been like 2018, 17 times. Yeah, for sure. It was, uh, we were both in a community group uh, about people trying to make their way in technology, uh, marginalized folks making their way in technology. And... um, that I joined that group shortly after I moved back to Bristol. So it must have been like maybe, yeah, 2017, I want to say, is probably the latest that it would have been. Oh, wow. I have fond <laughs> memories of knowing you. Well, you're not going oh. anywhere, but. Yeah, I think one of the first conversations we had was about like Sailor Moon and anime. Like, where do we go to find other people that like nerdy things, but are also kind of chill about the nerdy things? Yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) Not super intense. Like, yeah. And I think one of the first questions I remember asking you probably was what, but what is design? Because I think I did Mm. the the typical marketeer thing and I was just like, isn't it just graphic design? And then we had a good conversation. You told me, no, it's not just that. There's so many layers to it. So Mm -hmm. two questions. Mm -hmm. We're on the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast. What does inclusive marketing mean to you? And then second question is, what is design? Oh, gosh. First question, what is inclusive marketing to me? I think inclusive marketing isn't necessarily about trying to be, and I think I learned this from you mostly, is not trying to be like, the most 
we have included every single kind of person under the sun in every minutia possible, but that you are being honest about how you are marketing. You are being as honest as possible, as upfront with the user or customer or however you refer to the humans existing in the world as possible. Um, and that you make like honest and concentrated efforts to notice who is using your stuff or buying your stuff and that you don't ignore them and that you reflect that like reality back at the world. Um, and I think that's the thing that often companies or people think is the hardest thing is like, well, we have all these people using the tool that we didn't think used the tool or something like that. And but how do we find them and how do we put them forward and how do we essentially like use them? And I think that that's kind of where the tension comes is like, maybe they don't want to be used. Maybe anyway, it's kind of, it's tricky, but like, yeah, predominantly honesty and upfrontness with what, what's going on mm. is what I would say inclusive marketing is. Um, I really like that. The honesty and upfrontness because sometimes people using it don't want to be spotlighted and that's fine right it might actually be like dangerous for them to be spotlighted as well given the work that i do a lot of um a lot of the stuff that i've learned since my first few steps into like inclusive design is about the human rights angle of things essentially and um yeah a lot of the time we don't realize who we're putting at risk um by accessing or talking to and uh, often a lot of people globally are very, uh, what's the, like agreeable or very almost like mm. excited sometimes about the things that they're using that help them in a lot of ways. Like we, we definitely find in the human rights technology space that people are like, if something works for them, they're very like pleased and engaged to like contribute to it but we have to be really careful that we're not putting those people at risk by like highlighting them or using them as a case study or you know all those kinds of things so it's tricky mm -hmm. but your second question what, what was what is, what design? is design yes wow <laughs> um as a person that started a phd i could give like the like most boring i read a book answer but i'm not going to um I feel there's there's two two answers to this part of the th this question I think two two hopefully short answers. The first thing about design that I think is important is that isn't necessarily we don't you don't don't necessarily think of it as in terms of like an output. Often we think of design as a thing that has been created and crafted and made and designed. So you mm. can think of like objects or you can think about experiences or you can think about services or technology um but the part of design that is harder to articulate and harder to often realize is the aspect of like facilitation and the bringing together of all the different perspectives in order to design so when i talk to people about what is the role of a designer within the um task of designing it's to understand mm. it's to to some extent translate and transform into something that then makes sense for all the different people involved in that use of that thing that that object or experience so design in some ways is facilitation or mm -hmm. conversation collaboration ways in which to engage with people and the world um um, and it's the, you, you could also say the second part of the answer is like that it's a process. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a process to come to the, whatever the meaning of optimum or whatever the meaning of best is to you and your team or your tool or your domain is, uh, the quote unquote final thing that gets used or the thing that is in the the public or accessible final is a weird word because nothing is ever final um everything's always changing evolving kind of getting sunsetted getting re revived mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff so uh final in this um in this way of describing it is the thing that is 
accessed mm. at any given time. I think that's engaged um, with. Yeah, it's kind of, I guess, not necessarily what people think of when they think about design. They think about like things you can see. Mm-hmm. Um uh or things um yeah, the visuals, the visual components of something is what what uh, people see, and I think that that's a symptom of um, the, to some extent, the exclusivity, so the non-inclusivity of design as a practice. Mm. Design historically um, has, is very like elitist, very colonial, mm-hmm. very like Western. Um, in how it's done and approached like a lot of the ways that we get taught how to design are very private but you you access people to extract information from them as opposed Mm -hmm. to involve them in the process there there are lots of um, experiments with how to do like different ways of designing with people but ultimately design is still like having a, a lot of trouble trying to be non-extractive um but yeah it's uh very opaque like the a regular person if you told them that you're a designer they wouldn't necessarily know what goes into that process because it's intentionally like I think been they're not able to see that built that way yeah I think it's really beautiful the way you described it as the translation because that I think for me is where I connected after meeting you about the depths of design because being a marketer and coming from social media marketing we probably don't pay design as much respect because we see it as a tool to a means and we have to get something out quickly we're normally burdened with some kind of design work but we don't really know that we're doing it because we Mm -hmm. have to get Mm -hmm. this out we have to do this and there's so many things that when I started talking to you more about design I was like oh I do that I try to understand the audience I try to do this and then there's the physical elements of it like I didn't realize how much spatial awareness I had until I see this is a small thing but I see an Instagram post and I'm just like that's off and I Mm. can't say why it's off or Mm -hmm. someone we did an audit for a client recently and they had their social icons at the top of their web page but in front of their menu Mm-hmm. And it just made my body itch because I'm like, that's off. <laughs> Why is it off? these things? And I just didn't relate to how much humanness is in the whole process of understanding why things should be the way they are and the mm-hmm. understanding of figuring out why people want things in those places and laid out in those mm-hmm. ways. Um, but I'm curious to know. So you've had an amazing and long career in design. At what point was inclusive design integrated into that or you were made aware of it? Interesting. Um, yeah, I one of the, well, the first conference talk that I started doing um, about the work that I did was about uh, diversity and inclusion in design. And I don't really give that talk anymore, mostly because a lot of the examples that are in it are from old workplaces or actually a lot of things have improved since I was giving that talk. So while, right, yeah, I know, it's it's, it's really, it's good to see. Um, And also I am tired of talking about diversity and inclusion. Um, I am very tired of being invited to talk about that as my like subject, even though I, you know, you know the spiel, very mm-hmm. supportive of diversity and inclusion, but we should absolutely not be making people talk about it when they would they want to talk about other things. Yeah, when they want to talk um, about their skills and expertise. Please do not invite me to your conference to solely talk about diversity. I want to talk about oh. marketing. I want to talk about AI. I want to talk about the things right. I'm nerdy about. They might have a sprinkling of DNI in it, but yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it's a whole separate rant but yes you were saying absolutely a separate rant but um uh the way that you asked the question is interesting because when did it start coming into my work I think it started coming into my work a lot later than I when I realized it was a problem so I started realizing that design 
and non-inclusive design was present when I started my career. And I started my career in like 2010, 2011 uh, in kind of dot coms and kind of website back when website designer was still a job title and um I guess like even sort of back then UX design user experience design uh, was something that not a lot of people still had that title it was still kind of growing into itself uh, as a profession um and design in my his sort of history career history was was very much understood as a a tool for marketing or driving a business goal which it can be and should be um but business goals aren't always numbers they aren't always those kinds of things sometimes they're like less hard to pinpoint but i think um i started realizing that inclusive design was not really present in my sphere of understanding and my kind of work like at the beginning of my career within like a, my first year of working at where i was working just purely from the things that I now realize is like obvious when I look back, like the kinds of people that were working at the company, how homogenous they were, um, the kinds of ad campaigns that we were doing, which were not um, not actually able to really have conversations about what the overarching cultural impact is of like perpetuating stereotypes or perpetuating just kind of crude jokes for the for the sake of like the reason that we might think that crude jokes might make a business case for us and it's kind of I'm sure that there would have been conversations in boardrooms about like the this might get us in trouble but isn't all attention better than no attention that kind of stuff Mm. I don't I don't really know about that kind of side of things but I do know that um uh, apart from the kind of design that I was doing early on being very non-helpful design. It was mostly just get people to do this thing that we want Mm -hmm. them to do, Um, which is, I think we call this a lot more like recently, like deceptive design um, or um, this deceptive design is also commonly known as dark patterns, but a lot Mm. of the community are trying to move away from the dark and the white. Point. right yeah, yeah <laughs> we can't get away from it we keep using it to like oh but yeah deceptive design is the agreed term but when you say deceptive design to somebody they often go oh, and you go dark patterns but don't call it that anymore call it this and they're like oh yeah um but yeah uh it was very much like get them to buy this insurance get them to sign up for this thing get them to do this without necessarily understanding which is something that i know now like whether and why that person needs to do that and why they need to do that and why it's beneficial for them. So uh, it's a lot of very like non-inclusive from like a internal perspective as well as like a just the face value of the representation being really poor, like terrible Mm -hmm. representation. But then again, it was a reflection of what was available to us as designers as well. So you can't really fault people to some extent too much given the barriers that they were facing and that if you had to use photography uh, I remember one of my early career like places in uh, Bristol like it was amazing that they gave us a budget to go do photography on site it was like truly I was astounded that they allowed us to like go and do photography and me and the one other designer in this huge company like made a real um, well, actually him more than me, which I just, you know, gave him the the push that he needed to to kind of assert this, um, but made sure that the people that we were hiring as models for mm-hmm. those for pieces of photography were not only people that used our service, but that were all the different kinds of people that used our service. But then again, we also were not having conversations about whether like they were being like equitably um compensated mm-hmm. given like what you know but back then that was it wasn't a conversation it wasn't a conversation and we were kind of astounded that we were able to do anything essentially um but that's kind of when I first realized that 
being inclusive within the design that I was doing was really important. And then I uh, transitioned my career into um, more of like a human rights focus. And mm. I mean, NGO world and human rights world has its own problems with inclusivity, like truly, and they're complicated and painful and you know wrapped up with how financial aid works in places mm-hmm. um uh you know it's no it would be no surprise for most people to like hear that uh, most ngos especially like the us based ones are predominantly like white um like led and a lot of the barriers to get into that space are huge um but hey um i always say that um inclusive marketing and I think it goes with inclusive design as well can happen with non-inclusive or diverse teams it and that's the thing that people seem to have this kind of rub against like oh no the team has to be diverse for us to practice and I'm just like we'll be waiting a long time for some certain situations so let's kind of look at the two it will be better I think with a diverse team, you will have better inclusive marketing, but you do not Mm. need it to start it. Mm. Was it, I don't know who shared this recently, but I saw a video recently about like somebody was asking somebody, what percentage of the tech workforce do they think are like uh, black women? And Mm. they said, loads of people were saying like, oh, 5%, 1%, 20%. And then I think it ended up being like 0.06%. And people were like, what? And it's like, actually, that's kind of not surprising in a lot of ways. But yeah, it's it, it's exactly what you say. And I had a conversation this, this last conference I was at, where this conversation comes up a lot, no matter kind of what the subject matter of my talks are, because they're often about like, trying to be more inclusive generally like even Mm -hmm. if they're not specifically about inclusivity and diversity but I had a a group of people come up to me and two two people were really impacted by the talk which was talking about like how we design for uh, tools for people that are combating like repressed oppressive governments and one person is originally from a incredibly oppressive government um currently detaining people and, and putting people in prison for protesting Um, And was very, like, surprised and pleased that somebody was talking about her her speciality, like Mm -hmm. design, within the context of the things that she'd experienced. That was huge for her. Um, And there was another person that was from another country that has a lot of gender-based violence, a lot of, you know, gender inequity. And, like, she was talking about how she really wants to go back and be able to do more in her country of origin. But there's also this capitalism you know Mm. I'm now part of capitalism and I'm earning well like why would I get anyway it's like is it a revolutionary act to be like leveraging capitalism for your own like comfort I would say yes if you're enjoying it um but yeah there was a a person that was I would say like presumably white didn't Mm -hmm. correct me otherwise but ask the age-old question. Can you guess what the question is, Joy? The, what can I do? What can I do? It's the white person question or the person that doesn't identify as the thing. Like, the what can I do to make things better? Mm-hmm. And How like, can I be a saviour? Right, yeah. It's, it's so tricky because that question will always come up. And um, as you were saying, I think the answer to that question for white people to tell other white people is go talk to other white people about the problems and like stop like bothering people that are having these problems unless they like there is that ask of you to like bring you into it Mm -hmm. and it it was sort of like received really in a like a very confused way (laughs) it was like but you're telling me to go like be with more white people shouldn't I be with more like people that aren't me um anyway <laughs> I think she oh <laughs> uh, oh gosh anyway. that is the answer I imagine in my head sometimes that I don't give <laughs> yes mm. go go do the work yourself and then come back you know go do some of that self-education yeah. and come back with a well-crafted question that isn't just how can I help because that is mm. not helpful yeah. um that's so interesting so in terms of on that line of doing the work themselves 
Mm-hmm. I find it so fascinating that you mentioned in 2010 that conversation wasn't there because when we did our episode on inclusive design, we were looking back at like the history of where it came about mm. and the the whole genre in itself seemed to or- originated in like the 80s with architecture. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm just like the crossover. And then I started to think about that. I think you said, shared it with me, the Microsoft resource of mm. like all the inclusive things. When did you start using those tools and what kind of tools do you recommend for people to educate themselves? Mm. Some of the history is really interesting, like the architecture movement and like the participatory design and participatory action research is like around like the 80s was like when it was beginning, but it was much more like the workers focused. Mm. So the the I think a lot of that kind of history was like unintentionally inclusive because the people that were the workers, quote unquote, like in the factories mm-hmm. are going to be the people that are like more marginalized historically. Mm-hmm. So I think that the efforts to include the workers in order to increase their efficiency, often like this is whole all about how do we work with the workers to increase their efficiency within like the design systems, not necessarily how to empower them. So it was all about like making them work harder Getting and more faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think architecture was to some extent that maybe as well. I don't know enough about architecture. But um anyway, the, yeah, the history is fascinating because the like world of like computer-based design, like HCI, human computer interaction, kind of borrows from a lot of those spaces the processes but is a uh, historically feels very unaware of its own self like it's a very Mm. non-self-aware practice like what does it mean to use like content design I don't feel like is something that has been is more recent as like a person that you know wants to think about like how the content is structured how it comes across all that tone all that kind of stuff is probably like what between five to ten years old I feel um but when did I start using stuff I started using stuff in um in a startup company I was working Mm. in a startup company here in Bristol and I think I was just I don't know why I, I guess at that point I was like if not in a startup company, then then where can you like True. try and do something a little innovative. bit different, innovative, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so that's when I started trying to better understand like who the users were and discovering like all the things that are were non-surprising that we weren't representing the users that are actually using things uh in the kinds of design that we were doing. Um, so a lot of our defaults, um, like for the tools and systems or a lot of the examples that we had were like based on very archetypal like versions of what we thought our users were uh, without giving away the name of the, I, I kind of want to be a bit abstract just in case but um that were like very much a product of the two kind of white guy founders essentially mm. like this is what our users look like because they are us because we are the founders and therefore mm-hmm. we made this for ourselves but yeah I started I started kind of trying to do more of that kind of work in that startup company and found that it was like just super awkward I don't know whether it's like the culture uh or the space like the domain the tech space um because it was like a commercial like a profit-making company um so I don't know if it was like to do with that side of things uh but like certainly there was an undertone of but will this increase the numbers that we want to increase not the not the this is a good thing to do mm-hmm. and i think that's often that's a tension that comes up in design a lot which is like what is the thing that the what is the thing that is good to do for people mm-hmm. versus what is the thing that we want them to do because it benefits the person or the entity that it benefits and sometimes people don't think that those two things can be this one and the same right um mm-hmm. I was just about by, to ask that I was like do you think they clash or do you think they're one of the same 
I think they can be one and the same. I don't think that they're always in like harmony. Um, like certainly things that promote a lot of misinformation and disinformation are always going to be like malicious in a lot of ways. Um, but I think that from my experience doing design and trying to do design inclusively with companies that aren't nonprofit mm. um, focused, uh, have a harder time and ask more questions about whether doing the thing that is good for the people also meets their goals, like for doing better business. And often the answer is yes. If you better represent these people, if you better include them, they're going to use their your thing for longer. They're going to have a better time. They're going to tell other people about it. They're going to tell other people like them about it. It's going to do this. But those are all things that are hard to prove. And they're mm. often hard to prove with the design side of things it's it's um i've always had a lot of tricky situations around like how do you prove that certain design can be easy to track like it can mm -hmm. be easy to like know that a image that is more representative works better and has more people doing the thing that you want them to do than an image that doesn't represent them. That's yeah. reasonably easy to track and, and mm -hmm. measure. Click in, view times, bounce yeah. rate, yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, but stuff that is a little bit harder, like say inclusive um, titles or inclusive like name fields in profile information okay. or like any anything that is more like editable and um, more customizable. Just on so, the name fields bit, do you mean yeah. the bit where they normally would put like John Doe, then yeah. the age? Okay. Yeah. So a lot of this, a lot of this conversation started with like the should we capture gender and how should we capture gender? Because gender is a lot more fluid than what we know it to be. There are things like the gender that is expressed on a legal piece of identification that people would, uh, companies might want to capture. Um but then there's like how we identify and how we identify over time as well. So it's not mm -hmm. always like when I sign up for a bank account, my gender might be this, but actually in five years time, it might be something else, um, mm. which is entirely possible. Um, same thing with a name, same thing mm -hmm. with a title, um, like a Ms, Mrs, Mr, Sir type thing. Um, but the the return on investment for having very flexible user experience tools so mm -hmm. ways that customers can use a tool and ways that they want to use a tool as to as opposed to the way that the tool creators want them to use it mm -hmm. are very hard to track so you have to you can't you could sort of say track how many times somebody changes their title or their gender over a period of time you could sort of track certain things but you won't necessarily know why until you do things like user testing and user research and find out um for example some of the things that we used to find out is the more flexible a system is and the more willing a system is to change different mm -hmm. um information um the more likely people that do you want to change that information? We'll stick around in a in a service, right? So okay. you've kind of got you've kind of got like some tools that won't ever let you change your username. So I think Spotify is one of the examples. Yeah. Where yeah. So it's very strange that um if you create a username, which is a name that you used to use and you don't use that name anymore, you have to exit the service and re-enter the anyway. So it's tricky on on that one for me because my marketing brain is like, yes, we can customize it to who the person wants to be now and market to them. Mm -hmm. But my data scientist brain is like trying to map all of that in the back end. Yeah, yeah. So this is often the thing that it's like, is the inclusivity of the design worth more than the effort for technical Tech, technical mm. build and complexity and often like this is an age-old thing between design and development is that we often are in conflict design and development because the design and designing inclusively is about relevancy flexibility understanding people and what they want to do uh and those kinds of things are hard to program 
like mm. complete flexibility complete like relevancy within like the rules of some certain cer- certain systems so yeah absolutely i've definitely had the conversations with developers and other people like but if we have a free text field we won't be able to like you know do these other things which is valid because they might actually be like critical errors that might not be able to um be like imagine if it was your bank account right and if you couldn't mm-hmm. map the data of your name to the bank account then you won't be able to withdraw money which is arguably worse than the flexibility of the system um but, but yeah, a lot it's... of the things um in regards to like gender age titles and stuff a lot of it is just for reporting and yeah. someone looks at that report once or twice a year Mm-hmm. one thing you mentioned though and I've always pondered on this one and it might be the naivety I have data science background but not development mm-hmm. um the titles bit the miss the miss the misses mm-hmm. I was just like why don't we just simply apply the logic we've had with miss miss misses to mm-hmm. the other things that are now becoming multiples mm-hmm. I don't understand why it's become such a complexity thing when we've had mm. a version of it in forms for such a long time. Mm-hmm. So if we are able to address that women have titles can change, their miss, miss, misses yeah. can change. Why can't we yeah. one, apply that for men as well to apply that in gender and apply that mm. in name if we can easily map it there? Well, easily is an interesting way of saying it. Like, so as a person that's gone through like multiple name changes, it is not a simple process. It's a, well, in the UK anyway, it's not a simple process. It's a process of actual physical documents being sent to places sometimes, like, especially if it's critical information like banks, like, so they will require things like copies of marriage certificates, along with like birth certificates and things like that. Um so it's not it's it's possible, but it's mm. not I think the the way of saying it is it's possible, but it's not ideal for the company because it's time and time is money, right? And it's all about like I feel like often the conversation that is often unspoken as well because it sounds it's a kind of phrase that any company doesn't want to say out loud, right? which is the what's the what's the benefit to us mm-hmm. as a company to make? change your name there isn't really like keeping you as business great Mm -hmm. like but what is that worth to us like are you worth it to us and there's kind of like some of that some of that it gets applied to the design process often and a lot of the challenges of being a designer and like generally is like how far can you push a certain kind of inclusive design or user-centered design or any kind of centered design that isn't necessarily I guess like pure business goals centered design but how far can you take it to a user-centered level whilst also knowing that the business or the company or the organization will say yes we can do that Mm. because it's, it's always a balancing act of like we want to be able to have users be able to do this 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 and this and then it's like, well, it's more, we need them to be able to do this. We don't need them to be able to do that. So what's the benefit to us as an organization company? And it's often so designers really struggle. Yeah. Designers really struggle to articulate that. It's not something we get taught. Um, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I think it goes back to what you originally said about design in itself not being that open of a thing, mm. because if... I'm not saying that I would be the, the ideal boss or whatever, but because I have that marketing perspective, there are some elements that I'm thinking like that first. I'm thinking mm-hmm. user first. I'm thinking experience first, not necessarily business first, because I know long-term, the longer we have the customer, the better. That's yeah. the, for me, that's the overall end goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but with design not being transparent, you're having a lot of leaders still looking at it the same way I did when I first came in, like, oh, it's just graphics or, oh, it's just this. Mm. And not applying Mm. how much that you've emphasized, how much the user is involved, how much it's human centric. And Mm. all of that then leads to longevity, which then leads to return on investment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a complicated, like, um, 
it's definitely a more complicated uh, career or like uh, uh, practice or craft or however you want to call design than, than people sort of often initially think. It's it's very much grounded in the a lot of hypothesis, grounded in a lot of like um, balancing between different competing factors, um, especially like if you're practicing the kind of design which is like again inclusive or like aware so you're mm -hmm. not the kind of designer which is like just phoning it in and kind of just doing doing whatever you're kind of told that you're actually kind of engaging with the understanding of the subject matter um but yeah often the people that make some of the best designers are people that don't come from a design education background that come from any kind of other educational background I think that there's a it's a lot better now but I remember when we were first talking about like the tech sector and there was a lot of like um there's a lot of conversation about like a tech education or like a design education as well and I don't necessarily think that the things that they I think the the things that you learn in any kind of environment are can be applicable to being good designers mm. um uh but the gatekeepers would argue differently <laughs> oh there's there's gatekeepers there's annoying mm -hmm. annoying gatekeepers no this has been absolutely fascinating I already have so many more questions but I'm mindful mm -hmm. that I want to get to one of our fave sections of the podcast mm -hmm. So we are a marketing podcast through and through. So we do lean into the capitalism every now and again, because sometimes we like to buy things. Now, <laughs> I, I may make it niche, but feel free to choose any other area. Mm -hmm. Say there was a maybe a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Uh -huh, yeah. <laughs> and they were trying to encourage you to be their customer, not that you... Ooh how would you imagine that campaign and it can be a, a video it can be how like what would you envision the Dungeons and Dragons campaign that would connect with you the most oh Joanne this could be a whole nother episode of a podcast <laughs> the marketing of Dungeons and Dragons games is a fascinating domain um they've just gone like monetized recently in the last few mm -hmm. years like so you can you've always been able to pay to join games or that it historically has been very much like a people run it for free for friends and things like that. Um, but people run games from like you pay to participate in that game now. And the uh, there's a really interesting person on uh, I think she she's still on Twitter called It's Friday her her um, Twitter handle. But mm -hmm. she does a whole podcast called um, Dungeons and Dollars, which is how to market yourself as like a paid dungeon master. It's fascinating stuff. You'll love it. Um, yes. <laughs> But like she talks about like a case of the image that you use for your thumbnail, it has to be a face that has direct eye contact with the user so that they feel like they're immersed in the game. So it has can't be a character that's looking off into the distance unless it's a campaign that is about like adventure and it's all about the context. And then the use of emojis. And um, so there's a whole thing to do with character limit as well, which is mm -hmm. like the title. Any you must know like tons about character limit, like and how to optimize character limit. But like you've got like this title to get people to purchase your in, in buy into your game. Mm -hmm. You've got like about the size of like 25 words with emojis. Um maybe, maybe that. That's a decent um, amount. Is it yeah, I think it might be even less, but like you have to in that title you have to say what kind of game it is what kind of person you are that runs the game uh who who you'd like to encourage into that game so a lot of people use like the pride flag to be like mm. more inclusive for lgbt players um other people use different kinds of emojis or different kinds of words like poc um you know inclusive that kind of thing um but okay so if something was marketed towards me specifically how I'd want it to be marketed um because I went into the generals of marketing uh, games you got there. excited I love it oh it's so <laughs> excited it's fascinating it's such a fascinating um because it's a new you know when something's new and it's like yummy because it's all like discovering how it works um I think I would want and I have been like susceptible to this kind of marketing before. 
essentially Dungeons and Dragons is selling an experience and a community vibe. Mm-hmm. So the thing that I want my marketing for me, it's not for everybody, but most people are in it to hang out with a group of people, whether they know them before or they're new new people that they're meeting. What I want the marketing to be is I want it to not just be about the content of the game, but I want it to be about those people as well. So what I'd love to see more in the Dungeons and Dragons campaign, specifically the campaign um, marketing, is like more emphasis on who are the people that I'm going to be sharing my time with and what motivates them as like characters or players. Uh, Because I'm not just engaging in a transaction with this um, person running the game, the Dungeons and Dragons game. I'm engaging with like four or five other people who have their own goals, their own aspirations. And like, I want to, I want to know a bit about that as well. What level of detail? Like, do you want their names and like? I mostly want to know. Oh, this is this is such a weird word to answer you to. I want their vibes essentially. I know okay. that that's like the worst kind of word to answer, but I want whatever is their vibe to come across. Like, so it can be visual or it can be like text based, but I want to get I want to get like a sense of who they are from like a snapshot. All right, I'm seeing it. Okay. One minute video. Uh-huh. Obviously a non-skippable YouTube ad because we need to mm-hmm. see the whole video. Mm-hmm. Um first shot is three-way split screen of mm-hmm. each character sat mm-hmm. in their space. And mm-hmm. but kind of based on what I'm looking at right now, if you're not on YouTube, you need to hop on YouTube and see how amazing Errol Space is. Um <laughs> but they sat in their space and then you're just seeing them kind of like smiling and moving like they're going somewhere but you can get a sense of their background one has like a super earthy browns you see like a um what you call it a dream catcher in the background Mm -hmm. another one is like all clean and cut lines and there's like just weapons but weapons that are mounted so you can Mm -hmm. see their display Mm -hmm. um so i'm trying to think of the different types of characters earthy weapons and maybe a a magical vibe Mm -hmm. so you're not really seeing anything but you're getting glimpse of like glitter and smoke and Mm -hmm. you know there's just shimmer yeah and then it cuts and then someone starts voicing over and it starts the campaign and then you like speed through it yeah or if you're if you aren't already bought into it like just before that person like launches into the campaign there's like you know a image of like a mirror and it's you like a silhouette Uh, in a mirror do you know what I mean mm -hmm. you know because it's about like participating in that fantasy so there has to be a way that you without like knowing what that who that person is there has to be a way of like that person going oh I could fit in there it's like how integrated do you like your marketing because there's the element there's two Mm. issues with this this idea I'm about to pitch there's a data privacy issue and access and all that jazz but (laughs) say they could turn your camera on and put you Mm -hmm. in the ad Mm -hmm. and then you just look and then you're you're in the ad you're next to those three characters as a I'm very aware of like privacy and stuff like that but I am susceptible to like like things that I enjoy, I would be like stoked to just have like, like a little face of me on like a little illustration of a character and be like, this could be you like thing. Um, that would be really cool for like immersion. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, yeah. Okay. Anything that, that brings you into the fantasy is. I love it's it. It's going to be good. I love it. Cause then that is just vibes there's no it's so fascinating because when we've done this with other guests they're kind of like defining characteristics about the people mm-hmm. but it sounds like yours is just experience community connection and everything yeah. else is up yeah. for the shuffle yeah 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 there doesn't need to be like a specific like kind of way of saying the message that that's inclusive it's it's like it's yeah it's it it's a weird domain to try and market but it's fascinating but yeah it's mostly just about can I see myself there with those people 
um, doing what they're doing and anything that gets that sense over and helps me to feel like, yeah, I can do that is going to have me like click, uh, buy right now, sign up right now, four hours of my, one of my evenings a week. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. straight, straight up. I have played like 50 to 60 sessions with like pro DMs, which is like, no joke. I'm just going to be full transparent here. DMs charge from like 15 bucks a session to about 40 or 50 bucks a session. It's they can make coin on on these things. Okay. Dungeons and Dragons marketing. Please don't do the math of how much I've spent on Dungeons and Dragons. Somebody will do the math. (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, I love it. I absolutely, Mm. because I was going one of two options, either Dungeons and Dragons or Sailor Moon. But I feel like trying to make Sailor Moon inclusive is a harder feat. Like, it's just one yeah. of those ones where you just kind of have to leave it alone because yeah. it is what it was. And it, you know. You, well, so it's with Sailor Moon, I think that one feels simpler in the the thing that I love the most about modern Sailor Moon is all the cosplayers that are non, like, white uh-huh. cosplayers. Like, they... Yeah do such amazing costumes for like the Sailor Moon characters I want a full series of just those cosplayers like doing their Sailor Moon like stuff that's user generated content okay yeah yeah yeah, you spun it I like that (laughs) got two campaigns there um let our listeners and viewers (laughs) know where they can find you on the internet oh gosh I'm still I'm still on the um What's the word that people are using it? Not health, I I guess. Depending on your view, I'm still on the the Twitter or whatever the it's oh, called gosh. now X. Uh, for as long as it I makes sense to be there, I'm at Errol Does Design there. But you can also find me on Mastodon. Um, Mastodon, you can also uh, go on my Twitter profile to find my Hackyderm um, URL, which is again just Hackyderm. Uh, .io I think slash Errol does design so you can find me on Mastodon there um, but those are probably the best places to find me uh, online nowadays if you want to see talks you can find them on YouTube if you just search for Owl Fox yeah amazing talks and goes way back way way it back, does go way back. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me Errol it's been a pleasure having you on the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in. Let us know your thoughts on the episode in the comments, or you can leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Have an amazing, amazing week whenever you're listening to this.